All right, we got Ty Montgomery, plays for the New England Patriots. And Ty has had a pretty impressive career. He spent time with Green Bay, spent time with uh, New York Jets, the Baltimore Ravens. Was there another team? Or was that, or, or was Saints. It? More than Saints. And the Saints. And uh, I played at Stanford, and I'm really happy to have uh, Ty on today. I got a lot of questions for him. There's not many people who have been able to transition positions with running back and wide receiver and an impressive college career. And now diving is uh, diving into the world of business with uh, with an opportunity that we're going to talk about as well. And uh, a lot of people in our audience have a have an entrepreneurship background, so I'm going to really try to ask some questions today that really kind of tailor to, you know, what people can relate to. Even though you know, um, as a professional athlete, you certainly have a mindset and disciplines and a lifestyle that a lot of people um, will never experience. But a lot of what you do and a lot of what you've experienced, I would imagine, can be applied to the world of work and, uh, you know, a lot of the adversity that you've had to face and overcome and leadership challenges and also your philanthropic work that we're going to talk about as well, because pretty impressive that you started your own prop, uh, nonprofit. And I'd like to hear a little bit about that. So welcome to the, to the show. And I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. And I appreciate everything you said as well. Thank all you right, for that. Good, good. Yeah, I was telling Ty before we started that I was watching this highlight film in Stanford. I was getting all pumped up <laughs> watching the highlights, man. Someone did a good job. I was watching on YouTube getting all fired up. So um, I, I noticed one thing I got to ask you right away. So I'm watching the highlights and I even saw the one that, you know, obviously it's almost like a famous highlight of you when you were out of bounds, when you did the kickoff return with, I think it was with Green Bay, right? And you so I'll show that while we're talking about it, but I'm so curious. One, how did you think on your feet like that? And, and usually when people are in a position in life, let alone in sports, you're all jacked up, you're ready to go, your adrenaline's pumping, and it's hard to focus on like, what would you do if? And that situation came up for you, and whoever's watching this right now is gonna see this clip of it. And did you think of that before? Like, did you have that plan if that ever happens? Like, t- walk me through what, how you did that. Um, well, it's, it's something that we've talked about before, just understanding the rules and knowing what can happen, right? And for me, regardless of what I do, my, my mindset is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the goal is to get a big play and to give the offense good starting field position as a kick returner. Um, I'm never chasing glory. You know, obviously you want to build yourself up with confidence, right? You talk to yourself before you go out there. You're like, if I get one, I'm going to get a big return. I'm going to make a big play. You know, you try to visualize everything that's going to happen, including the celebration. And, And that's what a lot of like mental coaches try to tell you to do. But that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do to accomplish a goal. And regardless of what happens, that goal is not the glory. The goal is to give the offense good starting field position. So when it happened, for me, you know, the it was against the Lions. I remember they had a kick that went right to the corner, and it was a good kick by them. So my thought process was, what's the best solution to give the offense starting field position? It's not to just take this ball and go try to make some great play with the ball kicked into the corner. In my mind, I thought to myself, I'm going to get a foot out of bounds and get the ball at the 40. That's the best thing I can do right now. It's incredible because there's so few people who have probably thought that way and, and been able to pull it off. I mean, it was just impressive. So I just, I just, I. It was risky. It was risky. We're being honest. Yeah, <laughs> it was risky. Yeah, the way I had for to sure. Do. For sure. That's cool. So let's, let's go back. Um, walk me through who had the biggest influence on you in your life early on 
before college. And a lesson, probably one of the biggest lessons that you've learned from that individual, whoever was the biggest influence and how you carry that with you today and how you live your life. Uh, I would have to say it would be my mother, um, Lisa. She is a jack of all trades. And, you know, the saying is a jack of all trades, master of none. She's a jack of all trades and is seeking to master everything that she does. And that's something that I've learned from her. Um, No matter what you do, give it your very best, try to be the best and just put everything that you have into it. And that is the mindset that I've gone through life with. I just firmly believe because of her and what she's instilled in me, I believe that there's nothing I can't do and anything I do do, I'm going to try to be the best at it. Was she hard on you? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I mean, when you think about it, she had to be. If that's what she's going to instill in me, she has to be hard on me to make sure that I can overcome anything. And then obstacles are not really obstacles. They're just something in the way, I guess. It's not stopping me. Right. Um, So, and then kind of the same question, think professionally now, think in in a mentorship, kind of a more of a leadership role, biggest impact on you, influence on you, over the course of your career, who is it, and why do you, why would you pick that person? Um, I would have to say, and I don't say this in any like cliche kind of way, and I'm not going to preach to anyone, but I would have to say it would be Jesus Christ. Um, I know Christ is not his last name, but it would be <laughs> Jesus, you know, the Christ. Um, he, during his time on earth, the things that he did, one number one, submitting himself to something. There is so much power in submitting yourself to something. And for him, he submitted himself to the to the will of the Father. And if we want to just put it into different categories, we have to submit ourselves to the plan, submit ourselves to the process, submit ourselves to the outcome goal that we want to achieve. Regardless of what it is, if you're not submitted to something, it's hard to, to really accomplish the ultimate goal. So number one would be his ability to submit to the will of his father, because no matter what happened, he was submitted to that and only that. Um, Number two was discipline. He had the discipline to stay submitted. Um, Everything he did, he did it the right way. He did it the way it should be done. And he did it that way all the time, regardless of what happened and what was going on around him. Um, and those are just a couple of, of things that come to mind. But for, so for have me, you always had kind of a spiritual background growing up and everything or did it get stronger? Did you find it? What, what, talk, talk to me a little bit about your path growing up. I mean, were you using that as your anchor when you were hit with adversity throughout your career? Absolutely. And I would say all of the above. Um, you know, even though I was raised in the church, there's still a personal relationship that I had to develop for myself. Um, it's one thing to know everything about what you're being taught. It's one thing to know, you know, everything about a person. And it's another thing to actually get to know that person and then to actually believe what you're being taught and not just know what you're being taught. And so that has strengthened over time. And that's been a process and a journey of its own, to be honest. And it's something that that I've actually held on to, especially in the later years of my career. Is that is that a common theme with guys on the team? Is that a common theme in the NFL where people have a strong faith or are you kind of in the minority with that? Um, 
it's hard to say. A lot of times I feel like I'm in the minority with that. Um, but there are a lot of, and not, not just, you know, in the sports world, I would say just in general, there's a lot of people that profess to believe, but then again, it goes back to, it's one thing to believe, but are you actually submitted to what you say you believe in? Right. Willing to do whatever for what you say you believe in. Um, and that is, that's something that I had to to figure out on my own, to be honest. And so I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say that in a, I learned that myself. How much time would you say you spend investing in yourself spiritually? Not enough, <laughs> not enough. Um, I, I, I wish I could spend more time, to be honest. Um, I, I, you know, whenever I tell people about spending time with the Lord and spending time, you know, spiritually, um, when it comes to reading the Bible, I say there are, I believe, three different ways. I think I say three, but I'm, I'm just going to list them. One is I read the Bible to study something. I'm reading it because I'm trying to study it to know it. The second way is that I read it to learn something because I'm going through something and I need to get something from this. And then the third way is I read it just to spend time. I don't go back to try to reread something I couldn't remember, you know, the time has passed. And that last one is the most crucial one for me because that's what's helped develop my personal relationship with Jesus. It's because I look at that as my time to just sit on the couch with him. I don't remember every second that goes by when I'm watching TV with the boys or when I'm playing video games with the boys, but I'm enjoying that time. And so it's the same thing, you know, when I'm reading sometimes, I just read to spend time. Cool. Very cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so talk to me about your transition. You transition positions, which not a lot of people can do. I mean, you, you pull that off and that's just a rare thing. You just don't see it that often. and. In the world of work, people are transitioning like crazy. You know, it could be a big time executive who changes opportunities because the rug got swept out from underneath him and he has to either make a parallel move or he's got to go to a different company or he's got to transition careers completely and start over. How much did it feel like you were starting over and kind of walk me through the mindset of what you were going through when you were making that switch and how could that apply to someone who is taking a switch and how could you apply what you went, what you went through, how you dealt with it and how does that apply in, in the world of work for people who could try to try to relate to that? Yeah, um, I would say it, it didn't feel like starting over for me. Um, I mean, sometimes it's it felt like I got to climb out of something, I guess you could say. Um, but but something, I, something learned I learned in college, in college um, with our strength coach, um, Coach Turley, and he used to say it all the time. Um, and we had a performance news that we had to remember. And it was... The, the idea of it was there's no such thing as tough. You're either trained or untrained. You either know how to get it done or you don't. You're either gonna get it done or you won't. And so when I switch positions and I would encourage anyone that's going through any type of transition, I would just, you know, I, I would have this mindset and I would encourage anyone to develop this mindset of being trained. And you don't have to necessarily be trained in the area that you're transitioning into. That's the beauty of a transition. You get to learn as you go. You get to make mistakes as you go. But are you trained in being disciplined? Are you trained in committing to the process? Are you trained in submitting to yourself, submitting yourself to what you need to submit to? Are you trained in the areas that allow you to get the job done and to learn how to get the job done? Very cool. Um... Dream pick 
what position would you, what's your ultimate dream to be playing? I mean, are you doing it right now? Are you, are you where you want to be at this point in your career? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, I, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be at this point. Um, you know, I, I try to stay away from where would I rather be because then I don't want to, I don't want to open up the door to any right. sort of apathy or, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. regrets or anything like that. But um, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Um, but I do enjoy the receiver position a lot. <laughs> um, I will say that that's a lot less physical than the running back position, especially after being nine years in the league. You know, it was fun when I first did it, but now that I'm older, I'm trying to figure out how to prolong my career because right. I love playing the game. Right. Um, but honestly, even playing special teams, um, I love special teams. Um, that's a position in its own. It's a challenge in its own. Um, you only get one shot. It's, it's special teams. There's no first, second, or third down with special teams. You get one down to make a play, and it needs to be a big one. You got to be fearless to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think about it. I'm just focused on what do I need to do. So I'm just having fun with it. Okay, good. Talk to me about the different experiences that you've had on the different teams. And focus on leadership for a second and tell me um, – how different is it from going from one team to the next team? From I would imagine, and I would assume, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm I could be wrong, but from a coaching position, from an owner's position, when you go into these teams and you've experienced what you've experienced on multi teams, um, how different is it from a leadership perspective, from what you feel and what you see? It's different everywhere. Every team is different. You know, the organization, the way it's ran. Um, you know, from top to bottom. So talk to me about something, some of the specifics of it. Um, just, you know, just like the culture will be different. And that's not to say one culture is better than the other. Right. It's just that like, it would be different. And you can tell that like, okay, football is the same, but the way this business is ran is different because we are in the entertainment business. Right. You know, a head coach of mine once told me that we are in the entertainment business and, you know, we have, there are different companies and corporations. And so each one is different and the market is different. So um, that's one thing, but, but everywhere I've been, it's been fun. It's been a learning experience and it's, it's, a, it's allowed me to grow in different ways. So I hear you. It's very different, but a strong culture is a strong culture. And I don't care what culture and it could be at a company or it could be on a team. There are certain characteristics that certain influential leaders have in those cultures that make the culture what they are. So can you give me anything specific about any of the teams that you're on, something that you can share that um, is a gr was a great characteristic that you felt and saw that, that you felt was a catalyst to having it be a great, a great culture for you to be in? Um, I can give two characteristics, and I'm not going to say where they came from. I don't want to do that. But I can give two characteristics that, um, that come to mind immediately. And there's definitely more that I could think of. But one is in one culture I've been in, it, it placed an emphasis on strong veteran leadership and it would seek to sign veteran players that exhibit, you know, leadership to help develop the young players. And I thought that that was um, a really cool thing and a, and a very unique thing. And I think that was one thing that helped that organization, you know, win. Um, another culture that I've been in is it is just very, you know, nose to the grind, blue collar, hardworking, the way we win is we work hard. And so everything we do is going to consist of hard work. Um, and that is what helped that organization. Have you, have, so you, have, you, have you been on teams where you had to 
there were new coaches that came in where things had to change and, and you saw people having a real struggle. I mean, I hear you say what you just said, and I think about in my world, in the world of work, where a lot of times the veterans, they struggle to change because they, they don't want to break the habits that they've built. And, and you bring in people who are veterans from other organizations, it's hard for them to unlearn what they've learned and they want to do it their way and they find it hard to change. Do you see some of that on your team? Or is it like in that example you gave me with the veterans, is that everybody? The veterans are all in and the people who come in who are veterans are all in and everybody's just, you're just like in, on that type of a team, you have to be all in. <laughs> I, I would say in the in the organization where I saw them, you know, bringing in veteran leadership, the veterans that they brought in, they, they weren't, like, you know, just stuck in their ways. This is the only way it's going to be done. And then they become negative about the culture that they're coming into. These are veterans that are professionals that are what needs to be done. How are we going to do it? This is how we do it here. So we're going to get everybody on the same page. Um, something that I've always said to myself um, for a long time now is it doesn't matter if we're on the wrong page. If everybody's on the same page, then we're on the right page because we're all on one accord and we can accomplish what we need to accomplish. And then we can get ourselves on the page that we need to get to. Right. It's tough when people are on different pages. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, I would imagine, um, I mean, cause you've seen a lot of different things on a lot of different teams. And um, on the opposite side of what you were saying without giving anything specific about who you're talking about, what are some of the characteristics that you saw that were kind of just in any culture, they're no good, you know, they're no good. And you saw it kind of have an impact. Um, I would say that one of the negative things I've seen is having too many, what's, what's the way to say it? Like have, having too many guys that are all trying to be leaders. Um, and, and when I say that, I don't mean that everyone can't be a leader, but we all have positions and we all have roles. And it's not everybody's job to be the head cook in the kitchen. So we can't have everyone trying to be the head chef. Even if you're, you know, a great cook, just just play your role. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't mean you're not a great cook. It doesn't mean that. It just means for right now, where we're at with where everything is, you have to be able to play your role. You have to be able to follow. I feel like good leaders also know how to follow because then they know what it's like to follow. Um, the problem, so, I would imagine the problem though is, is that a lot of guys who are coming in on your level, they've always have been the leader. <laughs> they've always been the best. They've always yeah. been the star, number one. I, absolutely. Taking and a step I, back and being a follower is not something they're used to doing or have ever been. Right. And it's, and it's seen as like a, a sign of weakness right. for some, but it's, it's not really a weak thing. It's, it's learning how to be a team player and how to play your role is actually a very positive thing and it's it's a sign of leadership. So how, how do you know who the who the guy is that's supposed to step Does the coaches, I mean, there are captains in the NFL, right? You have a team that's, so are those guys, because they're in a sort of an, an appointed role, um, kind of delegated as the ones who should be the ones who are kind of stepping in and stepping up when they need to? Um, I mean, you just kind of see it, just kind of filter itself out, you know, throughout the off season and then the leaders emerge. And then of course, you know, Football should be a meritocracy. And then in, in terms of, you know, finding who the leaders are and picking your captains, it should be, you know, a real, you know, democracy. And we all decide who's going to lead us. And then once we do that, we stick to that. 
You know, there is no like, oh, I, I could have done this better than him or I could have made a better decision here or there. Like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's not about that. You know, we all have to play our role and even our leaders won't be perfect. Right. But, you know, the leaders need need trust. And, you know, if when I say the leaders, you know, the, the people who we put in different positions, you know, we should trust them and we got to get behind them. And like I said, we all have to be on the same page and whatever needs to be dealt with. Um, will be dealt with, you know, amongst the team, but it's not, it's, it's not good for the team. It's not good for an environment, you know, whether it's football or not football to just have, you know, a lot of division and right. undercutting and, you know, just gossip. Right. You know, when HBO did their specials and they started kind of looking inside the teams and you saw all the, all the, all the footage <laughs> of like, what's really happening to me, it's really intriguing. Cause you know, you, you see it on TV and you're, it's a business. There's no question it's a business and you see it ran like a business when they do those documentary pieces on it. Um, and I'm, it was interesting for me when I saw how much of a role the coaches play in some of the teams and how much the players step up in others, because the coaches are more of an introvert. They're, they're not as energetic and outgoing and in your face coaching hardcore motivation versus you know more strategic and methodical so i'm curious have you experienced both those types of coaching units where you have them kind of in your face a little bit more on one team and then with a, a little bit less from the player's perspective on another team I, absolutely i i have I've, I've seen both and and honestly it's uh i would say that's less of a team thing and just more of of a person thing right um I think at the end of the day, like we always have to remember that our bosses are human, right. our coworkers are human, you know, so players are human, coaches are human, and this is a business. And sometimes, you know, the player might be older than the coach um, in this league. You <laughs> right. know, it's, it's not it's, it's not like college or high school. At, at this point, we're all grown men. So sometimes a player might be older than a coach. And so, you know, it, it just all all depends on the person. But it, it doesn't mean that one leadership style um, is better than than the other. I, I think Which one did you prefer? So. Which one did you prefer? I don't I don't really have a preference. Right. Um, I think I just prefer authenticity. You know, right. whoever you are, just be that. And be and be that completely. That's good. So you've dealt with some adversity. You had an injury, right? So talk to me about bouncing back. Tell me about the mindset um, and and um, how people can apply that to, to in their world. I mean, like, how did you deal with it? And what were you thinking at the time? And and how long did it take you to rebound from it? Uh, it was. I want to say it was like a six month timetable. Um, and the thing that sucked about the injury last year was I actually had this injury in college. So it was the second surgery on the same shoulder. Um, and it was just an unfortunate thing. Um, it just, it, it just happened. And so, um, I don't know if this is like some rebellious mindset I have, or if this is just me trying to make everything, you know, positive and, and action oriented. That's something else I learned from college. Um, quick side note, he used to always like whenever we, we would break it down, someone would say um, hard work and he would be like, what? What is that? Like, that doesn't tell you what to do. That tells you what something is. So we would always have to break it down on work hard because it instills his mindset to go do something, not just tell you what something is. And um, so for me, that's really what I felt like was happening with this, you know, with this injury. Um, it wasn't a minor setback for a major comeback. 
it was here's an opportunity to go do something else and right now the something that i need to do is to rehab recover get strong and that was the mindset that that like i I took on you know i didn't look at it as some negative thing that i have to overcome um you know something else i said i have all these little slogans in my head (laughs) something else i also say is like i'm no longer um going through things or i'm no longer overcoming things i'm getting to things so i'm getting to health i'm getting to you know recovery i'm getting to whatever it is i'm no longer going through it and i'm no longer overcoming i'm just getting to it so i'm teaching my kids right now i have two teenage kids and i teach them thoughts or things your words matter how you your mindset right so when you share like your your one-liners your taglines like that one for example where did that come from why are you thinking that way and like how long have you been thinking that way uh it's one of those things where it didn't feel like it came from me. Um, I, I feel like it, it had to come from from the Holy Spirit. I, I, honestly, I was I was struggling with negative thoughts for a long time. It just felt like so many negative things were happening in my life, you know, personal life, career didn't feel like it was going the way I wanted it to go. That I just got to the point to where I just said, you know what, I'm no longer going through anything. I'm getting to something. I'm on my way somewhere. I'm going somewhere. And I just, it, I just stuck with that. I love that. Have you, have you always been a goal setter? Do you set goals? Yeah. Do you write them down? Yeah. I used to write them down. Um, honestly, I need to get back to that. I used to keep them in my phone, you know, to be honest. I would set goals. Um, I would write down my prayers so I could remember and check them off and, you know, give some appreciation to God. Um, and I, I learned my goal setting um, when I was in college. Uh, I mean, this honestly, this strength coach, it made me a better man, to be honest. Uh, but when I was in college, he taught us goal setting. Um, and he taught us ways to set goals. There's the outcome goal. There are two performance goals. And there are five process goals for each performance goal. And the process is 100% in your control. Are you submitted to the process? Can you be disciplined and stay consistent with that? And because you do your process, it will, it should impact your performance, which is also in your control. Um, the outcome is completely out of your control. So my goal, my outcome goal is something that I'm trying to attain, but every day I'm not thinking about the outcome goal. Every day I'm thinking about the process. And then when it's time to perform, I'm thinking about performance. And then by the time it's time to look up, then I see where I'm at. So, so do me a favor, give me an example of that. It can be about anything, just make it up on the fly, like about working out or about your yeah. success, you know, like just so I can understand that concept because it's an interesting concept and I've never heard that before. Um, okay, so let's say um, my outcome goal would be to uh, be 200 and, I don't know, I'm, I'm about 225, 227 right now. So, let, so let's say I wanted to lose weight. And my outcome goal would be, I want to be 215 pounds in a month. Like, that sounds crazy. Okay. So outcome goal would be 215 pounds. Uh, my two performance goals uh, would probably be um, to be able to run, you know, three miles in 20 minutes and to be able to uh, – Let me see. Um, be able to. I'm. I'm just making this up. Uh, oh, okay. Be able to jump rope for five minutes straight, no misses. Those would be my two performance goals. 
And then in order to be able to run three miles in 20 minutes, I got to have five different process goals that are like my daily goals. Wake up at 6 a.m. every morning, run one mile. Uh, Eat a certain amount of carbs. That would be my second one. My third one would be, um, I I would say, read two chapters of a book. And then I'll explain what that, like, that just comes from developing a discipline. Right. Like, can I do something for 20 minutes straight? Right. Yeah, no, Um, it makes sense. I mean, you're throwing out that rock. And it's funny because most people, they say 3% of the people set goals in the country. And you see these gyms get packed on January 1st. And the reason that they're all out in three weeks is because they take that outcome goal and they make that their only goal. And then it's impossible to hit that right off the bat and they quit and they stop. So I understand the concept. I do something very similar. I just don't call it the outcome and the performance, but I like that. It makes sense. And it breaks it down in your baby steps so you can go attack your goals. I mean, it makes sense. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. That, say again? It, 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 it takes the control what you can control right. and it, it simply like it makes it visible for you right so my brand's called authentic authority so i gotta ask you a tough question yeah why stop is it out of laziness why stop setting goals why what what is it because you and i both know how important it is to set goals i've done you've done them but there are times where we just don't do it and we know we should be doing it and that's like the worst thing in the world to be doing right i need to do it i should do it it's such BS, right? I mean, like you're not doing it, period. And and like for me, I, I I have a coach in my in my world of work, and he comes and he kicks my ass because sometimes you need to get your ass kicked. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to be, and this is me. I'm always fully transparent and fully vulnerable. Um, I think that the times that I've stopped have come from insecurity, and have come from fear of failure or tired of feeling like a failure. If I don't set this goal, or not if I don't set it, if I don't write it down, then I don't have to worry about whether or not I accomplished it. And that's just, I mean, I think that's just insecurity and that's just a fear of failing. Right, I hear hear that. I appreciate you sharing that. Talk to me about discipline. Um, To be at the level uh, that you play at and just in general, your whole career, I mean, everything from from high school, college and throughout, you don't reach that type of level of athletics and success without having disciplines in your life. So talk to me just about maybe some of your daily disciplines. What what do you do that you almost just like, it's just such habit that you don't even think about it, but the average person probably doesn't do it. Like wh- where are some of the disciplines that show up in your life and um, do, you, do you focus on them? Is it a big deal or is it just something you just do because you've been doing it for so long? Um, I think I focus on them and, and I don't even think I think about it anymore anymore it's just a part of like my my daily like conversation with myself um everything i do i have to start fast um i gotta wake up fast i gotta eat fast i gotta get to where i'm going um i gotta do what i gotta do um so everything i do i gotta start fast um and finishing is super important for me as well um you know when you're in little league you see a lot of kids when they got to do conditioning what do they do? They wait until the last rep to go as fast as they can. Um, but what I try to do is I try to start fast and then I finish something we used to say all the time in college, start fast, stay focused and find a way to finish. So it's not about my last rep being my fastest rep. It's about being my best rep. It's about having the best technique and you know, so on. So I start fast and I finish. Those are the first two. Um, and then I focus on correction and accountability. 
I'm always looking to correct myself. I celebrate all victories, including the small ones, but when it's time to correct myself and hold myself accountable, I cannot shy away from that. And I have to be disciplined in doing that. Um, the fourth one is attention to detail. How you do anything is how you do everything. And I like firmly believe that. So even the little stuff, um, and this, you know, this is actually, um, this actually goes with finishing, I believe. Uh, so, you know, for example, I'm in the weight room, um, attention to detail and finishing. I do my set, I do my last set, but I'm not done until I rack my weights. No, wait a minute, I'm still not done until I rack my weights and I put the clips for the weights back in the right position <laughs> where I got them from. And I'm, wait, nope, I'm still not done until I wipe, you know, if you're in a public gym, I'm still not done until I wipe my bench off and get it ready for the next person. As a matter of fact, I'm still not done until I'm prepared to start my next set. And then that's how I start fast. Like attention to detail with the little things. Can't skip reps, you know, none of that stuff. Wow. Um, and then the last one is being consistent and just being consistent in all of these things. And consistency does not mean perfection. Consistency just means what you do routinely. You know, it doesn't mean you gotta do it 10 out of 10 times, although that's what we strive to do, but we gotta leave room for grace. So as long as you're not doing it two out of 10 times and then trying to say, well, I do it, I do it all the time, why isn't this working? Well, that's not consistency. But if you do it eight out of 10 times, that'll get the job done. But we're gonna work our way to try to get to 10. Very cool, very cool, I love that. Who, um... Who in the league has had the biggest impact on you? Woo. That's tough to say because I have played with some Hall of Fame players and I've played with some great players and just some people that you really just want to learn from. Um, How about this? Who, take that question and focus it in on discipline. Who has had the biggest impact on you when you look at all these incredible people, but when you saw this one, because of their discipline and whatever it is that you were attracted to, it still sticks with you enough for you to be able to say that person, that that's the person who's had a big impact on you. Uh, Matthew Slater. And why? 16 years, 38 years old, however many Pro Bowls, and he's still one of the fastest on the field. Um, he's still one of the most consistent on the field um, in his play, and he's very disciplined and how he goes about his work. I don't know if he's been doing this all 16 years. Actually, I had a conversation with him about it. And some things he's he's had to change over the years as he's gotten older, his body has changed, his routine has had to change, but he's disciplined in attacking his routine, taking care of his body, doing what needs to be done. I mean, the guys, I'm not exaggerating, like at the facility all day, Wow, literally all day. And he has a wife and he has kids and he's also disciplined in who he is as a man, as a husband, as a father. And it just oozes off of him. Like you can see it, that he is about his business. He's about being who he is. And it's not, it's not just a football player. So I imagine when he's at home, he attacks home and being a father and being a husband the same way he does uh, being a player. That's awesome. Very cool. All right, one more question. Um, I want to dive a little bit off the field a little bit, but um, tough question, another tough question. I like to ask these tough questions. Tell me, um, 
You can share whatever you want. The hardest thing you've ever experienced and how you dealt with it. Oh, God. I hope I don't start crying here, but the hardest thing I've ever experienced is, is um, going through a divorce um, and not being able to just be there for my son the way I imagined I wanted to be there for him, um, especially being a, a, a pro, like a self-proclaimed man of God and I wasn't taking care of my business. I had to hold myself accountable. I wasn't mature. Um, and I wasn't, I, I just, I, I wasn't making decisions for the right reasons. And I wasn't making the right decisions for the right reasons. You know, I, I, I had to learn that sometimes trying to be perfect, trying to do the right thing all the time can be a detriment because you're not holding yourself accountable to actually learning the mistakes. And you're also not doing the work that needs to be done in order to mature. You know, I, I think, you know, an analogy that comes to mind is, you know, sometimes we see, we see kids that try to act older than they are and they don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. They just know adults do it. So then that's what they, that's what they do. Um, and so when, when I went through that and just knowing how it's going to affect my son already having conversations with him and he's only five. Um, that was the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. Um, I would say I'm, I'm still learning a lot from that situation. Um, and the way I dealt with it was literally just having to humble myself, humble my heart, humble my spirit and go before God and just ask him what is happening? What do I need to do? How do I get through this? And he just started dealing with me on things that I didn't know um, that needed to be dealt with. I didn't know that I needed to deal with them in areas that I thought I was super hardworking, um, actually was working hard the wrong way. Um, I was putting too much effort and energy into trying to hold up a certain image um, for myself because I wanted to be seen that way and that's who I wanted to be, that I wasn't being authentic and genuine and allowing myself grace and allowing God to do his work within me. Appreciate you sharing that. We have, uh, we have a lot in common. That's my hardest thing I've ever gone through. I hear you. Yeah. Um, let's go off the field now. So you started a, a, a nonprofit. It's called 10%, yep. is that what it's called? My 10%. My 10%. Tell me about that. When did it start? How did it start? Why did it start? And just give us a little background. Uh, it came from, I was really doing some some deep searching within the word and just seeing a lot going on around me. And the Bible talks about tithing and giving, you know, 10% of your first fruits. And I just thought to myself, you know, we always think of money and giving money directly to a church. And... I thought to myself, you know, Paul says that we, the people are the church and we make up the church. And I want to do more than just think about it as giving money. I want to give 10% of myself resources, whatever it may be, time to people. 
And so that's where my 10% came from. It was this idea of giving back to God, give in a way of giving to his people, in a way of just, you know, however you want to word it. And so that's where that came from. And it it supports, um, we, we call them forgotten youth, um, victims of uh, human trafficking, foster children, homeless children, um, doesn't matter uh, really. And in short, um, the mission statement is basically you know, Jesus says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And for a lot of these, a lot of these, the, the youth, they have a hard time seeing what they're capable of. And um, my 10 percent, um, we want to strive to give them hope for a future that they deserve and that they desire. But not only hope that it's possible, but faith that it will happen. When did you start that? Uh, 2016. I think 2016, some, somewhere around there. Very cool. That's really cool. And talk to me about uh, diving into the world of work and the world of business. You uh, you started, a, a, you went into a restaurant in Texas, a vegan restaurant? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. That was just something else that happened after, after prayer. And um, I was actually fasting and um, I was just being obedient with what I heard the Lord telling me to do. And it's it's been a learning process. Again, that's that's something else that I'd never done it before. And you never, just, you, ne- you never did what before? Fast or go into work? Go, go into business like this. Like coming in as an investor with two other owners and wanting to, to help build something. Um, never done that before. But I had the confidence in myself, the faith in myself, and just really the faith in in knowing that like, okay, I'm I'm moving in a direction God has called me to move. And it's been a learning experience, but again, it goes back to, are you trained or untrained? And not, are you trained in the area of this business? Are you trained in the area of knowing what to do here? But are you trained in the process of knowing how to learn how to get the job done, learning what to do, when to do it, and then also putting it into action as well, learning as you go. And it's been it's been a process, it's been a learning experience, um, but it's been good, it's, it's been rewarding. Um, TLC Vegan Cafe in Dallas, Texas, in the Richardson area um, with uh, celebrity chef Troy Gardner. Um, he's amazing um, with what he can do in the kitchen and with vegan food. Um, making it really making it taste like the real thing because I'm not fully vegan, but I just believed in this so much and believed in the benefits of it and you know the message behind um, vegan vegan food and what Troy wanted to do that I, I was bought in. Why were you fasting? I was fasting because um, I was looking for some spiritual um, revelation, just with some things that was going on in life, and and honestly just for some growth. Um, I needed healing in, in some areas that I was struggling with. Um, to be honest, I was struggling with, with anger, not like a, I'm angry at everyone all the time, but I was always angry with myself and I didn't know why. And I had to, I had to deal with that. Wow. That's right. You're, you're a rare, you're a rare individual to be doing that. (laughs) I like that. I like that. I always say people are, distinctly different it's good you know not doing what everyone else does 
So did they approach you or were you seeking an opportunity in business? I approached them. And again, completely out of my comfort zone. Never before. That's why I say this had to be from God. Like I remember <laughs> thinking like, nah, I'm not doing that. There's no way. And as I was leaving the restaurant with a friend, I just turned back around and I saw one of the owners and I said, hey, um, are you one of, one of the owners here? And she was like, yeah. And I said, are you looking for investors? And and I said, I normally don't do this. I'm so sorry. I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to sound anything like that. I just love what you guys have, the product. I see you guys are struggling to keep up with these orders coming in. Um, are you looking for investors? And she just kind of kind of chuckled and looked at me and was like, one second, <laughs> and came back with a card. And, um, you know, what do you know? They were literally looking for him, but like they needed wow. the help. Well, and do you get to do you get to sit in on meetings? Do you get to, how are you updated? How, how involved are you Absolutely. outside? Of, yeah, I'm I'm involved. I'm I'm one of the the three owners, you know, partners, and I'm heavily involved. So I'm curious, how much of what you've learned in the world of athletics and focus on leadership now, because now you're going to see it in the real world, you know, in a business sense. Are you seeing similarities? Is it different? How is it different? And what role are you playing in that? I'm definitely seeing similarities. And, uh, you know, at times when we're having, you know, our meetings and we're discussing what's going on at the restaurant or we're discussing, you know, plan of action for the future, I'm thinking about the championship teams versus the teams that weren't so good. I'm thinking about the playoff teams versus the teams that weren't. I'm also thinking about the teams that weren't very good, but, you know, I'm sure whoever, whoever listens or watches this can, they can remember what I'm talking about when we had to win six in a row just to make the playoffs. We had to run the table just to make the playoffs. We almost went to the Super Bowl that year. You know, are we able to, when everything's on the line, do what we need to do and just look at one win at a time, not get overwhelmed, not think about the fact that we've been losing, not think about any of that. Can we do what we need to do to still accomplish the goal that's ahead of us? What's been the biggest struggle that you've seen or felt or experienced so far in the restaurant business that you weren't expecting to, to kind of deal with? Um, I would say finding full-time employees. <laughs> it's just it's like, it's, it's hard. Like, I, and I didn't realize how hard that was. Um, Cause things always happen. And you know, if everybody doesn't show up for the cook line, you're down a cook and that affects everything. And that affects the ability to open even if someone's car breaks down or something happens and there's a personal matter that they can't, you know, 